Thanks to everybody who's been listening and making this Heavy Traffic Podcast Network a success. You're now listening to Pain to Purpose Podcast, and I ask that you go on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and now on Spotify as well. Subscribe, like, comment, review. It all helps. And we'll continue to keep pushing forward. We'll give you a whole new menu of of select of items you can go through and subscribe and listen to. Uh, like I said, this is Pain of Purpose. You also have Power Tripping, and you also have the Making Sense of Nonsense podcast. Um, thanks again, and we're pushing to a 1,000 strong. Go on there, click, like, subscribe, review, all type of digital content. Thanks. From Pain to Purpose is a show that will bring inspiration, love, and healing to your lives. It's a show that will teach you that your trials and tribulations in life is only temporary and that it's only preparing you for your greatest calling. A show that will give you the courage to share your story with the world and not care what others may think or say. For your story is the key that will unlock someone else's prison. What was meant to kill you, God used it to prosper, restore, and strengthen you. To always remember that without pain, your purpose cannot be fulfilled into the power that God has ordained you to walk in. From Pain to Purpose by Asia Monique. Stay tuned. Speak your truth. Today on the show, we have Keisha Oliver Robinson. Welcome to Pain to Purpose Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Um, thank you for allowing me to be on from Pain of Purpose. So thank you. No problem. Thank you for reaching out to me and sharing your story and wanting to be on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Miss Keisha. Well, I am a community leader. I am a real estate broker. I'm a published author of Financial Literacy Made Easy, Credit Edition. Um, and I'm a wife, a mother, you know, I mean, I wear many hats. Many hats. <laughs> many hats. Okay. So, let us take us back to a time in your life where you have experienced pain. Whew. That is... A complex but simple uh, question. Um, I'll think about the pain of teenage pregnancy because now today, um, in my opinion, it's kind of glorified. It's like, I got a baby. Let's take these pictures. You know, it's all easy. It's no big deal. You know, it's real glorified. And back in my day, which I'm not that old, Mm -hmm. but back in my day, (laughs) it was shame. When, when, When I became a teenage parent, you, you wasn't allowed to go to public school. You went to something called TAP, which is the Teenage Parenthood Program. You was not allowed to parade your pregnant self around the school. So um, it's just a little different now. And I think it's, it, 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 it portrays a false image of what it's like to really be a teenage parent and which a lot of times translate into a single parent. Mm-hmm. And it's not fun. It's not cute. It's not easy. So that was a beginning of... That was that was the beginning to my pain. Okay. Um, I was fourteen when I had my first child. Um, when I had my son, my son is now nineteen years old, mm-hmm. 
And I was 16 when I had my daughter. So I was a two-time teenage parent. Okay, okay. So that's why I said my, my pain is a little more complex. <laughs> but my first, the first time I ever had sex, I got pregnant. I hear that a lot. Yes, I, I am one of those. The first time I ever had sex, when I found out about STDs and, um, you know, gonorrhea and chlamydia and trichomonas and all these different um, sexually transmitted disease, I was already pregnant. I was in a sex education class. And th- and I'm like, dog, I could have got, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I was already pregnant when I found out about those things. Wow. So what different struggles did you face as a teenage preg- uh, pregnant mom? Because I know you said you were 14. So you still were trying to get the hang of things, then you turn around at 16 and had another one. Like, what struggles did you face? And did you have help from your children's father, your family? Like, what struggles did you face? Well, with the, with the first child, um, at 14, you can't work. Mm-hmm. So for the first year of my son's life, I was unable to take care of him. And you know, you know what's the crazy thing about it is that when I was 14 and pregnant, I was re- re- my mama was receiving child support from my dad. So that kind of became my income because she gave me the money and that's how I would buy little things. But you can't work. So it was my mom, it was aunts, it was uncles, it was uh, my son's father, it was his um his mom, his family. So I personally really couldn't take care of my child mm-hmm. because I was so young. Mm-hmm. Um, so that right there put me in a position where I was in survival mode. Mm-hmm. So you don't have time to think about your hopes, your dreams. Oh, do I like red or do I like blue? Mm-hmm. All those other things that normal 14-year-olds think about, mm-hmm. I didn't have the opportunity to think about mm-hmm. because I'm in survival mode because I got this little crybaby mm-hmm. that's dependent on me mm-hmm. to eat. And how did, like, did, were you judged when you turned around and had another child? A second child, yes, I was. I hid, I hid that pregnancy for as long as I could. Mm-hmm. I, oh my God, I was so embarrassed. Because mm-hmm. it was like, you, you had your first child, mm-hmm. um, you don't know better. But in my defense, mm-hmm. um, that first child had an awesome awesome support system okay so if i need to get up and go i could just go if i needed to you know if i if i wanted to go somewhere mm-hmm. you know with my friend i could i i, I was i didn't feel restricted okay you so still had a life i still had a little life it was still crazy mm-hmm. um it was still uh chaotic mm-hmm. but i still felt some sense of normalcy mm-hmm. in it so i didn't really feel the the pressure of okay. Of having that first child, not until I had that second child, mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh no, I can't do this again." Mm-hmm. Oh no. So, were you still staying with your parents? Yes. Um, I moved out of my mom's house when I was sixteen. A friend girl of mine, oh, this is a whole other story. But a friend girl mm-hmm. of mine, her mama was moving into another house. So her mama was gonna leave me and her the house, and at, at the time I had my little piece of job mm-hmm. working at some type of fast food restaurant, making a little teeny bit of money. Um, but my little teeny bit of money plus her little teeny bit of money, we could afford to pay the six hundred dollar 
um, rent. At 16? At 16. Of course, the, 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 the um, house was going to be in her mom's name, but we couldn't afford the bills because it was only $600. Long story short, her boyfriend um, had too much control over a house that he didn't pay bills to because the only income we calculated was my little piece of job and her little piece of job. Um, so he would just come in and out when he felt like it, have company. and So I paid my first month rent. Um, and I only la- only stayed there two weeks. Wow. Then I went back home. Okay. Cause I I knew that that would have been a mess. Okay. Okay. So what what advice could you give to teenage girls out there who is fourteen and sixteen and fifteen and they're pregnant? Like, what advice could you give them? Um. At at this moment, what I would give to a young 14, 15-year-old girl, or what I, who I would give to myself if I can go back and talk to her. Um, at this moment, you cannot make a decision based on emotions because a lot of times we make our decisions based on survival, and we don't clearly understand the results of our decision um, until it's too late. Until you grow up 10, 15, 25 years from now. And then you look back and be like, oh, that, was, that, was, that wasn't smart. Um, I would tell them not to follow the crowd. Because now every, everyone's following what everyone's doing. Um, and it's, it's a little different because we didn't have social media back then. Mm-hmm. We had no evidence of when we did dumb stuff. Nobody could come back and remind us. You know, the, the dumb things I did are photographic memories in my head. Yeah. So <laughs> nobody could see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to explain it to you. But um, teenage pregnancy is not a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling you to be shamed. I'm not telling you to, you know, be depressed about it. But it's not a bad badge of honor because you're more likely to be a teenage parent. Mm-hmm. Um, not a teenage parent, excuse me, a single parent. And with that, it comes a lot of unnecessary struggle. I mean, it's just unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Two incomes is always better than one. Mm-hmm. And you want to make a child with someone who has a commitment to you, who mm-hmm. who going to sacrifice just as much as you are for that child, who's going to call in for work when the child is sick. So we're you you making adult decisions mm-hmm. in a child's body. Yeah. And I could speak from a different perspective because I've been there. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't like... When people give criticism, mm-hmm. but I can criticize because I I, I was her. Mm-hmm. I am her. I'm mm-hmm. still certain things um, I would never experience because I became a teenage parent. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like to go to high school with boys. I've never went to high school with boys because I went to TAP, yeah. Teenage Parenthood Program. I don't know what it's like to go to prom. Mm-hmm. So is that one night of potentially having sex mm-hmm. and getting pregnant Let's not even talk about the pregnancy or getting an STD that you cannot get rid of. Mm-hmm. Is it worth it? True. It's not worth it. Did you ever graduate? Yes, I did. I dropped out of school when I was 16 because um, I started working. Mm-hmm. I was working at Checkers, and it became kind of difficult to go to work, get off at 11, sometimes 12 o'clock at night, and get up and go to school. So I eventually dropped out, and education wasn't a real big thing in my house. It wasn't a push. It wasn't you and go to school. You got this baby. You better make sure you you know walk across that stage. That that wasn't the conversation in my house. Mm-hmm. So eventually dropped out of school. Um, and then one day I worked at 
crispy chick uh, in East Savannah. And I was walking, I lived in Savannah Gardens at the time, and I was walking home and I looked at my paycheck and my paycheck was like $122. I think I made $5.15 an hour. It was like $122, $128. And I was saying to myself, where you gonna live? Mm -hmm. You know, you're not gonna never get away from your mama. What kind of future are your children gonna have with this amount of money? I have to go back to school. Mm -hmm. So I went to uh, Youth Challenge Academy, which is a non-traditional military school on Fort Stewart Base. Mm -hmm. I went there and I graduated. So I did go back to school. Okay, 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 okay. Well, that was good. How did your relationships go? Have you ever, like, experienced uh, being in a toxic relationship? Or were you a single parent? Um, I know you say you had help from the first child's father, but what about that second child's father? Have you ever, how did that situation go? And then have you ever experienced a toxic relationship? Um... The uniqueness about my story is my son's father is now my husband. That's the unique was is you know that's not that don't happen that often. Yes. So that was a, that was an act of God. Okay. <laughs> you know that do do not happen often. So that's a little uniqueness about my story. We were so young. I was fourteen and he was seventeen. So we never had really an opportunity to grow. Mm -hmm. So it was it wasn't broken. It wasn't toxic. It was just. 14-year-old, what, what do 14-year-old, 17-year-olds fuss about? What do we have to, I, I can't even tell you because you, yeah. you you probably fuss about something stupid. Did, 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 did you go to school today? No, I didn't go to, yeah. dumb conversation. I can't even begin to think of what type of stupid arguments we had. I can't even, so, so yes, I do, we didn't have a toxic relationship, but boy, oh boy. Let me tell you something. If I don't, if, if, if whomever is listening to this podcast don't remember nothing I say, a mother's love or the way a mother loves her daughter is very important. Because if a mother doesn't show her daughter love, it's easy for an old sucker to come in and say the word, I love you. And you easily get, you know, tricked into foolishness. Mm -hmm. So in relationship, I wouldn't even call it relationship because... What kind of relationship you got at 16? Right. What kind of relationship? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even call it a relationship, but in that situation, it was easy for me to get caught up in a, a toxic relationship because the word love was not mentioned in my house. It was, you just regular, hey, bye. It was, you, you didn't know the word love. So uh, my, my daughter's, that was the first time a male, or I can remember my anybody really telling me they love me. I, you know, I had aunts, oh, I love you. You know, I don't remember my daddy telling me he loved me. You, you kind of knew they love you, but it's important to hear that word because at that time, as a little 14-year-old, excuse me, a little 16-year-old with one child, you, you love me? Yeah. It, it meant something, mm -hmm. and I got entangled in a toxic relationship. Mm -hmm. And when you say toxic, do you mind elaborating? Um, fussing and cussing, and he was um, he was he had a reputation of being abusive. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a little different because I don't feel like I was a victim of abuse. I felt like we fought. 
which in no circumstance, no circumstances, a male should fight a female. But in the situation with me, I was never the aggressor. Mm-hmm. He was always the aggressor, and here you, here I am, basically defending myself. So that's what I mean when I say it was a very toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. And these are things I talk to my kids about now, but they never had the opportunity to witness this because mm-hmm. no telling what bad habits they would have picked up on if they would witness this. But he was known to be a woman beater. Wow. So what advice could you give to women out there who? Are in a who's abusive. In, yeah who's in an abusive relationship, but they think it's love. Like how like what advice could you give to them? Because a lot of girls you can talk to them so they turn blue and he's, they still want to stay in that relationship. But like what advice could you give to them? To let them know like look you need to get out of this situation before it's too late. Um, that's a two part answer. Mm-hmm. Um, the first part of that answer is once you identify who you are. And what you bring to the table, you wouldn't dare let a man disrespect you in that way. You have to find out and center yourself and ground you. Who are you? What are you capable of? What are your gifts? What are your talents? What is your purpose? So once you identify that, part two is you're not going to allow yourself. You're not going to allow yourself to be disrespected. We as human beings are designed to see how much we can get away with. We just That's just who we are. Oh, you tell me to come at 10 o'clock? Okay, I'm going to come at 10, 15. You don't say nothing, so I'm always be late. But if I tell you to be here at 10 o'clock and you get here at 10 05 and I chastise you, I'm going to say, oh, well, I might need to be on time because you set a healthy boundary. So what we got now is you got little girls who, who do not know who they are. They don't like themselves. They don't like their hair. They don't like the way they look. They don't like the way they weight. They don't like their weight. They don't like their shape. They don't like their size. And here you got old trifling sucker who can come and say, oh, I like your hair. I like your size. Ah, you look so good. But they just hook you with that. Mm-hmm. So after they hook you and bring you down to that level, and that's when they begin to beat you or verbally abuse you because... Ain't nobody else going to want you. Mm-hmm. And you addicted to that feeling he gave you in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Thinking that nobody else going to like you. Nobody else going to want you. And this is all I got. So it's definitely a two-part answer. It's never a good never a good idea to stay in an abusive relationship. It's never a good idea to be in a disrespectful relationship. A verbally abusive relationship. Um, I would say, step one, I know it sounds kind of crazy. Because normally you say, just leave. But I don't think you could just leave because that's something you've been conditioned to accept. So I think you have to go on a soul searching and finding yourself. Because when you will leave this time after you find yourself, you won't come back. Versus just leaving and not knowing who you are. And that is so true. Like That's very true. And by you being a teenage mother, not knowing who you really are. Like When did you find that time to figure out, you know more about you when did you do your soul searching and got to know who you are when I went to military school um a friend of mine asked me that question because she's like you know what was your change you know like and I was like you know struggle struggle was my change because you gotta you know feed your kids and um she was like no it can't be that it got to be deeper than that she was like really what happened to make you change and I had to really sit down and do some self-reflecting 
we are a product of our environment. No matter who you are, you know, what's your IQ, how long your hair is, how good you look, you are the product of your environment. So in my environment, it was normal to have teenage parents. In my environment, you get pregnant, you go to tap. Teenage Parenthood program. That was just normal. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I went to military school and stayed on the base mm -hmm. and lived in the barracks when I knew that it became, I was like, well, wait a minute now. So you mean to tell me I got two kids and I'm here in these barracks with other children from, you know, other young girls from all over. Mm -hmm. And that was abnormal for them. They like, what? You got two kids and you 16? They looking at me like I'm a foreign object. <laughs> It was one other girl there who had one child, but I was the only one there who had two. So as I began to talk with them, I started to learn things that was abnormal to me. You know, they, some was military families, came from military families. Um, some people um, were, you know, were in two-parent homes. Um, it was a couple of single parents, but none of them, as far as I know, from me having a conversation with them came from poverty. Okay. You know, these were normal young girls doing what normal young girls do. But here I am, 16, and I feel like I'm their mama, and I feel like they childish because I got two kids. You get what I'm saying? You had to grow up fast. I had to grow up fast. So in that, that isolation time, that's when I had a chance to evolve and grow. Mm -hmm. And one thing I will say is that um, we had the opportunity there to, um, you know, go to Bible study, go to church, mm -hmm. um, we had the opportunity to be isolated in quiet time and grow. Okay. So I would say that that was my transition in time. So when I came back home, it was like I was in a foreign land. It just didn't make any sense anymore. Okay. So you basically had a reality change. Yes. Wow. So when did you begin to find your purpose in life? Um, I think... When I came home, that's when I began to know my purpose. The tricky thing about a purpose is you really can't identify your purpose until you get in a calm place. When you used to so much chaos, you can't really see clearly or hear your purpose or know which way to go. So once I came back at 17, um, I began to know that it was bigger than me. I knew that I had something to help someone else, but at the same time, I'm still surviving. I got these two little children. Um, I got to provide shelter, roof over their head. Got to pay for daycare. Oh, God, don't let the kids be out for the summer because then you got to pay for summer camp. That's a whole nother bill. Uh, then you got to pay for when they get old enough to go to public school. Then you got to pay for before and after school. So you feel like the bill never stops. <laughs> so I identified my purpose to help. Um, young girls, young boys, young women, just people inspire, speak. Once I got into a calmer place, okay. I seen myself evolving at 17, but I wasn't quite there. I'll say when I turned about, I know this is going to sound crazy. When I turned about 20, I was clear on my purpose and I was clear about who I was. Wow. So when did you start taking the steps into your purpose? I know you say you're a community leader. Um, you are an author. Like, what are some things that titles that you hold, and how did you get into those things? Well, community leader. I mean, out of all the things that I have listed, 
um, com community leader is the one that I hold dearest to my heart. Uh, because I feel like it's my responsibility once I learn something new to take it back to my community so we can all rise together. So I, I love the fact um, I'm the type of community leader that doesn't look like the average community leader because I think that every time you do something for your community, you lead them to a different place that makes you a community leader. I don't have to have a big audience. I don't have to have... Um, community leader behind my name, but I know that that is my purpose. Everything else falls behind that. Mm -hmm. um, once I was clear on who I was and had the confidence in myself, I began to go back and talk to other girls. I began to go back and talk to young men. Um, the crazy thing is I talked with a lot of older people that you wouldn't think I have a lot in common with. Mm -hmm. When I was 18, 19 years, I'm telling, you know, 40, 50-year-olds, you know, let's do this. Don't do it like this. You know, maybe it's a better way. Like, let's 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 sit down and do some conflict um, resolution. I was doing this, but at the time, I'm still in survival. I didn't realize it was my purpose. Oh wow! So, where did the real estate come in at? Like, what made you want to do real estate? When I first purchased, when I purchased my first home, I was twenty, between twenty two and twenty three. Um. I had a really good realtor, um, Stacy Marcus with the Pharrell team, um, with Keller Williams. I had a really good realtor. Um, and that's when I kind of developed this, like, oh, she helped me. Maybe, you know, I could tell other people about her. So I began to go on this quest to everybody I know. I bought a house. Oh, you should buy a house. Oh, to call her. You should do it like this. Oh, this is the things that helped me. Da, da, da. So I constantly would tell people. But what, what started happening was people started to perceive that as I got a house you don't. Mm -hmm. And they started to perceive that as, oh, you think you better than me because you got a house and you younger than me? Mm -hmm. That was kind of the, mm -hmm. the attitude I would start receiving. But, you know, I was just so excited because, remember, I said that a community leader, when you when you learn something, you go back and take it to your community so y'all can rise up too. So I said to myself, I said, self, maybe they're not taking me serious because I don't have the credentials. Mm -hmm. So that was the reason, somewhat the reason I went to real estate school because I went to real estate school because I wanted to be an investor. And I didn't know or understand the lingo of investments or know how to stick my foot into that field um, because, you know, I would go to the little workshops and this basically telling you a whole bunch of nothing, telling you to pay $1,500 to go to another workshop. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what, if I'm going to be serious about being an investor, um, I need to go to real estate school. So I went to real estate school. Um, and I also, you know, like I said, in the back of my mind, I was trying to get those credentials to actually help people. And also I went there to kind of, so I can learn about investments. Okay. Okay. And did you write a book? I know you say you're an author as well. Did you write a book? Yes. Um, the book just came last year. Um, I had a friend of mine's and, and it, you know what? Another good thing about your purpose is you have to make sure that you align yourself with certain people who gonna help push you into your purpose. Because um, that quote is, you know, it's hard to see the picture frame when you're in the picture, it's so true. So at this time, you know, I was you know, selling real estate probably for about five, six years. And um, what I was noticing is that people who I thought should have been qualified to 
um, really help people with their credit and understanding, I was finding out that they didn't know anything. And I was like, man, you've been selling real estate way longer than me. And how is it that you're not helping people? You know, it's easy to sell you a house if you already got a pre-qualification letter. But if I could sit down with you, your credit jacked up to the top to the floor, and I can you can watch you go from a four hundred something credit score to maybe a six seven hundred credit score, and you know that I helped you from this point to this point. Um, I should write a book. Mm-hmm. So I came up with this clever idea. I was like, you know what? I am kind of because sometimes you don't. I'm just doing my purpose. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. So you don't realize the effect that you're causing in other people's lives because you're just doing what you do. So I told myself, I said, mm, I should write a book. So I was talking to my friend and I said, you know what? I don't think I'm qualified to write a book. And um, I say, you know, I've, I've done this, but I don't really, you know, I was real insecure about it. I was like, who going to buy my book? You know, I need to go and get certified with Equifax TransUnion Experience. Maybe I need to go back to school, which I hate school. I keep going back, but I, I hate it. Mm-hmm. Did you, let me say it slow. I hate school. So I um <laughs> I was saying to myself, oh, I got to go to school. I got to go get all these different certifications. I don't feel like that. And my friend told me with an attitude, she had her head kind of caught to the side. Uh-huh. And she was like, you help so-and-so buy a house. You help this person buy a house. You did this. You did. She started listing all the things that she seen me accomplish mm-hmm. as far as credit and the advice that I have given people. She was like, that's what qualifies you to, buy, to write this book. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Well, I guess I'm qualified. Mm-hmm. So, wrote the book. Published it last year. Mm-hmm. Name of the book is Financial Literacy Made Easy Credit Edition. And how can they find that book? You can purchase it on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, or you can come to my website at www.unchainyourdragon.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram at Queen Underdog or Facebook, Keisha Oliver Robinson. And where did the Unleash Your Dragon come from? Oh. Tell us a little bit about that. So, Unchain Your Dragon. Unchain Your Dragon. So, okay. Unchain Your Dragon. It's okay. It's okay. I get that a lot. <laughs> People think about a karate movie. Yes. Yeah. Unleash. No. It's Unchain. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, 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 it's very specific. Um, when I think about me being young... And not knowing my purpose and having all these different insecurities and um, not being comfortable in myself. I said to my, my adult self, I said, what if you always had this dragon inside of you? Um, I chose to use a dragon as the symbol because, you know, people see the panther, you see the lion, you see... Um, the snake. You see all different type of images when people want to think of something powerful. And I was like, you know, they all can kind of be defeated. You know, a lion attack, you can stab it or shoot it. But if you look back at, like, the history of the mythical creature, the dragon, you couldn't defeat it. It always had to be, like, a virgin who lived on a mountaintop or something magical to be able to defeat that dragon. So that's where the image of the dragon came from. And I said to myself... What if I had this powerful being that lived inside of me, which would be the dragon, and what if it was chained up? What if you had all these chains on your dragon? And what if you unchain that dragon? Just imagine the power that lives inside of you, you know, through that dragon. So one of my quotes is, if you only knew the power that lived inside of you waiting to be unchained. So the person who I am today 
has always been me, but I couldn't identify it because my pain wrapped me up in chains. So I couldn't not be who I am today until I unchained my dragon. So that's where the, the title Unchain Your Dragon come from. And that's my publishing company. Um, I, you know, do motivational speaking. I speak to church groups. I speak to small women groups, teenagers. Um, I can kind of uh, speak on whatever topic. They, you, they want me to speak on teenage pregnancy. You want me to talk about business. You want me to talk about investment. You want me to do a vision board. Whatever it is that they want me to do. So I don't specifically only teach workshops on one thing, but I can teach workshops, you know, with my book, Financial Literacy Made Easy. Wow. Well, you're one powerful woman. <laughs> Child, I'm tired. <laughs> so when you look back on your life from from teenage pregnancy to now, like, how does that make you feel that you have, you're no longer a statistic? Um, it makes me feel good, but then it makes me, um, feel kind of, kind of sad. And I say that because when you're a product of your environment, this was your future. Statistically, you're more likely to do this, A, B, C. But statistically, if you're a one-time teenage parent, you're more likely to be a two-time teenage parent. Statistically, if you're a two-time teenage parent, you're less likely to get married. So now you're a single parent. So it makes me happy that I've overcame, but then it makes me sad to look back and see how many people wasn't able to fight out of their environment. Because I will tell you this, it's, it's good to, you know, to talk about all these, you know, credentials and all these things I do, but it was hard. You hear me? It was hard. I had to get up every day and talk myself off the ledge to continue to move forward. Because when you hear no, 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 then you then you go outside and the stupid car want to not crank up. You want to beat on the car, and then now you you can't get to class, and now the child sick, but you need to be to work because you need this check. You need this check to stay X amount of dollars to pay this rent. So it was hard. It, it, it will be easier to just turn around and just settle for whatever life has handed to you. But it was extremely difficult. So that's what makes me sad looking back at the people who didn't have, I won't say the will, I would say who got comfortable in their environment and didn't know that I'm no different from them and they could do the same thing. And what advice could you give to those who is kind of stuck in those type of situations but they don't have that determination. They don't have that drive. Like what? Like what keeps you going? And what advice could you give to them to keep pushing? Number one is become financially stable. I'm not saying become rich. I'm not saying you know be a millionaire. Um, I'm saying become financially stable because most of our problems as a teenage parent is money because mm -hmm. you want to take care of the kids and you want to have a place to live and. I'm not saying that, you know, you have to go and get a four-year college degree because that's when you're in survival mode, I need money now. So I would say find, you know, you know, we got Google now, you know. Everybody got a computer on their phone. So we got it, you know, when everybody sleep, when the kids sleep, you can lay in the bed and, and start searching. Okay, I live in Savannah, Georgia. What's like a median income where I can maybe go to school maybe one or two years so I can at least stabilize my income? Once you stabilize your income, I'm not saying be rich. Once you stabilize your income, then you're at a point where you can become a homeowner. So now, most of your income is not going towards rent. Mm -hmm. 
And then once, you know, you are a homeowner, then you can start building and thinking about generational wealth and the things you like to do and work on your hobbies and goals. Because unfortunately, what a lot of people do, and I hate that they teach this to their children, mm-hmm. we, we, we got to be aware where we live at. Mm-hmm. Um, you cannot just tell your children, whatever you want to do, fly, little birdie, fly. Yeah. You know? No. My children... Stabilize your income first so you're not a struggling whatever it is you want to do. So you stabilize your income, then you want to sing, then we sing. Then you want to dance, then you because because more than likely when you're first trying to get into whatever thing that you love to do, mm-hmm. it don't produce money. Mm-hmm. So then you're struggling. Yeah. Your mama has struggled enough, you shouldn't have to struggle. So I would tell that person to find a way to find something that you might not love to do. It is not, it's not about love right now. Okay. We don't love to struggle. Do you love to struggle? I don't love to struggle. No. So it's not about love right now. So put, so put those to Find what stabilizes your income. Um, and then, you know, purchase you a home. And the more, each time you complete a goal, it gives you more confidence. Each time you do something you thought you couldn't do, it makes you more bolder. So it's like a stepping process to get out of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would definitely tell you first. I don't know how you're going to stabilize your income, but you need to find a way to find something that you can have a decent e- income that you can get pre-qualified for a mortgage loan. Mm-hmm. You buy you a house. Then you kind of plan your life and make sure you have a vision board. Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, is there anything else you would like to share? And um, could you let them know how they can find you again? Okay, um, you can find me on Facebook at Keisha Oliver Robinson. You can find me on Instagram at Queen under the Queen underscore underdog. Um, my website is www.unchainyourdragon.com. The name of my book is Financial Literacy Made Easy Credit Edition. Um, budget Edition is coming soon. You can purchase the book at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, or anywhere that books are sold. All right, and I would like to thank you for coming on the show today and sharing your powerful testimony until next time paint to purpose podcast with Aisha Mooney. until next time from paint to purpose podcast with Aisha Monique you can find me on Facebook at Aisha Monique and you can also find me on Instagram at underscore Aisha, A-I-S-H-A underscore Monique, M-O-N-I-Q-U-E.